welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. That great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Today we are continuing our science fiction segue, being that our world has no shortage of catastrophe, both human-made and natural. It's a little escape for the past few weeks, and... Uh, of course, we're only going to another universe's problems, as we're going to find out in our feature today, a piece called The Specimen. Now, I, I should preface this by saying that it is about time and with great pleasure that I feature the work of Darker Projects, producers of audio drama of a darker shade, as they say. They've been doing that for many, many years now with uh, contributors from across the globe, many types of uh, podcasts from zam- zombies, the vampires, the science, to science fiction like you'll hear both original as well as inspired fiction told in the universes of Doctor Who, Star Trek, and others. So, huge amount of content on their website, darkerprojects.com. And if you are being exposed to them for the first time, I would hope that if you're an audio drama fan, you've heard of them long before now, but it is darkerprojects.com and tons of great stuff. So, anyways, this one comes from their series Dark Matter, which um, has been around for a little while. Uh, It is a series of short, dark, original science fiction pieces. They fit nicely into this show. They're about half an hour piece and um, original, fun, fun in in a dark way, I guess. Uh, Today we are brought to a... You are listening to audio drama in a darker shade at darkerprojects.com. And now our feature presentation. Enjoy this special. Beyond the life-giving glow of our own sun, the infinite void of dark space stretches to places where reality is only limited by our imagination. It is from these blackest reaches of the universe that we bring you Dark Matter, an anthology of original audio science fiction from Darker Projects. This is Paul Mannering. Evolution has been described as a series of constraints, each new development leading us down an ever-narrowing path of adaption and options for diversity. Consider the possibilities if earlier experiments by nature had taken hold, and humanity as we know it today had evolved in an entirely different way. In such a world, the notion of what it is to be human would be something entirely alien to us, And what is human in our eyes would indeed be a strange specimen. Begin recording. Specimen received today at 0500 hours. Bishop Colonel Altram has confirmed that the specimen was recovered from the UFO that crashed in the desert yesterday. We are, of course, operating under strict military secrecy, and this recording and the accompanying report are for approved eyes only. Present are Dr. Fare Angula. Initial observations. The specimen is not human. 
It is in fact a tetrapod. It appears to be wearing a fitted layer of protective material that completely covers the forelimbs, the thorax, and abdomen. The material of this suit is unknown, but while soft to the touch, appears strong and resilient to wear and tear. The head is bulbous and currently encased in a hard shell. It has not been determined if this is part of the body or is a protective covering similar to the suit. The position of the limbs is quadrupedal, which makes the osteology of this specimen unique. The upper set is smaller and end in five-digited prehensile hands. The tetrapod limb structure and the reduced number of fingers are a strong indication that this specimen is not human. All four limbs are jointed. The lower set has two primary joint sets. The proximal set appears capable of a wide range of movement, and the mid-distal set is hinged. The distal appendages are at right angles to the limb. We will need to remove the hard shell covering over what I believe to be the foot to determine if there is indeed an ankle joint that allowed some kind of movement. At this time, I believe that this creature's only means of locomotion would be on all fours, though this would have seriously impeded their ability to use tools. There is no evidence of additional limbs being amputated as a result of injuries sustained in the crash. It is pure conjecture at this time, but perhaps this species is subservient to a more advanced hexapod, and the crashed craft was an experiment in interstellar travel. I am now beginning my examination of the head. It has no apparent features. There is a hard, encompassing shell, which I surmise is a helmet of some kind. It has a dark, reflective, screen-like section at the front. This may be a viewing panel which would indicate some visual apparatus situated in the cranium. There is a clip design on the front at the base. I am now opening that catch. My extraordinary! The, the covering is a helmet of some kind. Opening the front piece has revealed what I hesitate to describe as a face. No apparent visual organs. There are three orifices. One is clearly the mouth, and the second appears to be some kind of filtering apparatus. However, it is encased in a short, bony protrusion. Clearly, this species is not capable of traveling through water, as this orifice has no apparent sphincter. The head is situated almost on top of the torso. This lack of prehensile neck surely limits the ability of the species to observe and interact with their environment. If they are indeed quadrupedal, then we will need to seek further evidence of how they managed to survive at all. Pause recording. Good morning, Dr. Hexel. Dr. Magura, you have begun the examination of the specimen already? Yes, the specimen arrived early this morning. I have been recording my initial observations. An amazing find, Doctor. We were lucky the military didn't have it incinerated. Were have any other specimens recovered? There was reported evidence of other specimens, but they were destroyed in the crash. Ah. 
So it was an extra planar vehicle? Now, Cyan, we must keep all information relating to this specimen secret. The church military have strict protocols. Now stop worrying, Fairy. It's the Diosis that is afraid of science finding some evidence against the existence of God. Is that what we have? Evidence of a non-human sapient species? Something not made in God's image. I hesitate to suggest that this species is in any way sapient. Look, only two sets of limbs. And the head, the neck is so short. Atrophied sensory organs, no evidence of visual sensory equipment. I believe that it is a quadruped, and therefore unlikely to have evolved into anything capable of higher function. Yes, but then how do you explain its presence in a crashed vehicle of an unknown origin? I believe it was a test subject. A creature placed in the vehicle by a more advanced species. And the sapient species? They are, of course, hexapods? Well, of course. It's irrational to consider anything with less than six limbs being capable of making the advances necessary to accomplish interplanetary flight. <sighs> That's the problem with you, Fairy. You still adhere to the law of the Church. What if God, in its infinite wisdom, allowed life on other planets to evolve in other ways? What if this species evolved as tetrapods and managed to develop science to a, a level similar to our own? Preposterous. Spoken like a true believer. Don't you ever find it difficult to reconcile your science with your faith? Really, Fairy, when you start spouting that church dogma, I have serious doubts that you're my parent. Well, Offspring, when I was your age, we accepted the truth. Because we knew it was true. It had been proven and shown to be right. But now we have something from another world, Fairy. A creature that has evolved in an entirely different way. Surely that must be cast doubt on your belief. Our belief, Cyan. You will not identify yourself as one without faith in my presence or anywhere in this facility. I know, I know. It's absurd to make atheism a crime. I'm not alone, you know. There are many others who think as I do. That may be so, but you will not speak of such such blasphemy in my presence. Mary, it moved! What? Impossible. The specimen is dead. I saw its... hand... twitch. Bring me the stethoscope. It did it again. It's alive. Steady, Cyan. We must proceed carefully. We should remove this covering. It may be injured. Yes, you can begin by making a test incision in the covering of the first arm. See if it bleeds. Hmm. No bleeding or fluid of any kind. It confirms it is a separate material covering. Begin recording. At this stage of the examination, I am assisted by Dr. Hyra Hexel. I am proceeding to remove the specimen's outer shell. It is a pliable material, definitely manufactured. As it is cut away, we can see evidence of a dermis under the covering. It is covered in a light hair. The dermis has a pale pinkish tinge to it and appears to be unbroken. Remarkable. A completely intact quadratic specimen, previously unknown to science. It appears to be dead. I can detect no respiration or pulses. It may have suffered a critical injury to its second heart. 
You're assuming that it has a second heart. I'm merely offering its sapiency the benefit of the doubt. How kind of you. See here, the neck is short. I was prepared for it to somehow be telescopic, but there's no evidence of the required muscle and cartilage tissue. It really is that close to the thorax. We should secure the neck in case of injury. But we have nothing small enough. Hold it. Keep it secure. I'll see if we can't cut this cranial shell away. Well, that is truly the oddest specimen I have ever seen. We have now removed the shell encompassing the head. As speculated, the hard shell is a form of protective helmet. It appears to have protected the cranium from injury. The skull itself is unlike anything we have seen. It is large, rounded, and bulges to the posterior. The entire skull is capped by a short growth of fur. This fur appears to be thinner across the torso. Dr. Nagula, shall we continue to remove the covering of the lower section of the specimen? Yes, we need to complete the physical examination for any apparent external injuries. Concentration of fur at the apex of the lower limbs. A small pseudopod of indeterminate purpose is located at the apex. Possibly a vestigial limb or sensory organ. No immediate indication of genital structure. Small dermal sac located posterior and inferior to the vestigial organ at the inferior limb apex. Testes. I beg your pardon? The dermal sac. What if it is the specimen's testes? Externally situated. Ridiculous. What possible advantage could be gained from external testes? Nothing comes immediately to mind. But there is a distinct physiological disadvantage to being a tetrapod, and the specimen appears to have survived as one. We have not considered the possibility that this could in fact be a specimen of a previously unknown species suffering from serious congenital defects. Unlikely. What sapient species would include their most malformed on a crew of interplanetary travelers? Certainly not something we humans would do. A pulse. Weak, but there is a pulse. Located here, on the inner thigh of the inferior limb. Let me listen. Extraordinary. A singular pulse. Either it is surviving on a secondary cardiac organ function, or... or... It has one cardiac organ. I know. The concept of the species existing with a single heart is preposterous, but look at the evidence. This is most disturbing. I will need to notify Bishop Colonel Altram immediately. Why is it disturbing? We have made a fantastic discovery. Not only do we have clear evidence that humanity is not alone in the universe, but we have clear evidence of alternative evolution. There are clearly planets with advanced species which have evolved into entirely different morphologies. Barry, this is the scientific discovery of a millennium. We can't just abandon this knowledge to the church. Faith gives us strength, Cyan. There is no benefit in allowing doubt to enter the hearts of those who are not filled with the truth of God's light. Oh, please, Barry. You know what this means? The truth of this specimen cannot be denied. 
We cannot just allow it to be lost because of what it proves. If the existence of this specimen were to be made public, the crisis of faith would be catastrophic. A sapient tetrapod capable of traversing the void of space? Possibly interstellar travel? Can you imagine the difficulty of assimilating this new information into the doctrine of the Church? God, in his omnipotence, created a second species of sapiens, and they were not in his image? Why does the Bible not tell us of this? It is as we atheists have known them, Fairy. The Bible is not the complete truth. You cannot maintain its divine origin in the face of the evidence. We are continuing our examination of the physical structure of the specimen. The inferior limbs are symmetrical and are of larger structure than the superior limbs. A matching set of diarthrotic joints are apparent. The proximal joints appear to match the range of movement of the upper limbs. The mid-distal joints are hinged, and the distal joints are similar to those of the distal hand appendages of the upper limbs. I hesitate to call the terminating phalangeal network feet. They are small, and detailed dissection of the entire musculoskeletal form will be required to hypothesize on whether the specimen is at all capable of standing upright. I see little evidence of this capability given its lack of supporting secondary limbs in the lower trunk and lack of tail. Very. Open your eyes to- Cyan, there can be no discussion of this. We both know the penalty for speaking against Dias's law. God is the source of all life and we are created in God's image. The hexapodal form of the four limbs we walk on, the two arms, our multinodal nervous system, binary cardiac function, all are signs of God's hand in our creation. We are the result of divine, intelligent design. This thing on the table before us is nothing more than a physiological divergence. Yes, God created it as he did all life, but we cannot know God's purpose. We cannot hope to understand the full scope of God's design. We can only give praise and wonder at his works. We must continue our examination. The specimen will be terminated humanely, and then we can begin a dissection. Dr. Nagula, Dr. Hexel, I am here for your report. Ah, uh, Bishop Colonel Altram, delighted you could join us. We have made an initial examination and would be happy to discuss our findings with you. Very good. This is the specimen? Yes, Bishop Colonel. God, what an awful thing. On the contrary, Bishop Colonel. It is a remarkable specimen, and one that will have a profound effect on all humanity. Spoken like a true scientist, Dr. Hexel. I, on the other hand, am a simple soldier of God, and I see only a demon struck down by his will. Of course, that's all you... Thank you, Dr. Hexel. Bishop Colonel Altram, we would request additional time to analyze this specimen. We have determined it is not human. There are many non-human aspects to the anatomy of this specimen. We believe it may, in fact, be of an extraterrestrial origin. You are aware, Dr. Nagula, that only angels and demons can be considered to be of an extraterrestrial origin? Yes, of course, but this is a tetrapod, a mammalian organism with only four limbs, Bishop Colonel. It has but one set of legs and many other features that separate it from humans. So you are saying it is not of God's creation, then? Well, I would not be so impudent as to judge the Lord's work. 
It is clear evidence of the existence of non-human intelligent species which occur. As we know that no such species exists on Earth, it must therefore be from another world. An unacceptable conclusion, Dr. Hexel, and therefore your observation is incorrect. Incorrect? How can you stand here in front of the physical evidence and state that my conclusions are incorrect? You must be blind! I apologize, Bishop Colonel. She is young, impetuous, and it is the nature of the young to question the wisdom of their elders. You are well educated, Dr. Hexel. You are aware, of course, of the penalty for the sin of denial? You mean the sin of atheism, Bishop Colonel. I am aware of the penalty and the nature of this sin. Good. Your parent is well respected and a man of devout faith. You would do well to take guidance from him. Thank you, Bishop Colonel. I will pay closer attention to the ongoing education of my child. Clearly, God has balanced the gift of your piety with the challenge of such offspring. You may well be the Job of our current age, Dr. Nagula. Oh, (laughs) really, Bishop Colonel, there are those who face greater challenges. I can think of one person in this room who comes to mind. My apologies, Dr. Hexel. I did not hear what you said. I said I am truly blessed to have such a patient and wise parent, Bishop Colonel. Indeed. Now, in regards to this specimen, it is to be removed and incinerated forthwith. Oh, dear. What? No, you cannot be serious. This is a remarkable find. You cannot just destroy it because it doesn't fit with your view of existence. Cyan, please calm yourself. Murray, we cannot stand by and let this atrocity take place. We cannot allow the zealot to hide the truth. You are crossing a line, Doctor. I would shut up before consequences are inevitable. Cyan, please be quiet. I cannot be quiet. I will not stand idly by and let the truth be hidden. We have evidence. Empirical, irrevocable evidence of an alternative evolution before us, Bishop Colonel. We should embrace this new information. We should celebrate the revelations of science and stop destroying anything that does not match the preconceived concepts of the Church. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! A cardinal sin! May God strike you down for your false utterance. But he won't because God does not exist. There are only the myths perpetrated by the Church. There was never clearer evidence of evolution. For too long the Church has suppressed and destroyed truth. We must separate Church from State. We can never have freedom until these two institutions can stand apart. Oh, God, Cyan, what are you saying? Dr. Cyan Hexel, you leave me no choice. I am placing you under arrest for the sins of atheism. Blasphemous utterance against the laws of God. Sergeant! Oh, God. Oh, my poor child. Why does she insist on espousing such insane beliefs? Dr. Nagula, I am sorry for your wayward child. The word of God is the word of law. We are all but servants to his will. Trial and execution will be conducted promptly. Cyan, oh, oh, my child. Cyan... The specimen and all notations you have will be handed over to the church authorities immediately. Yes, of course. Of course. The specimen must be disposed of. We cannot have further seeds of insurgents germinate from such ridiculous speculations. Your conduct during this incident has been laudable, Dr. Nagula. I will ensure that the unfortunate sins of your child are not reflected upon you by the diocese. 
Thank you, Bishop Colonel. I, I... I do not need to remind you to never speak of what has taken place here today, Doctor? No. No, of course not. Nothing shall ever be said. Faith gives us strength. Doubt has no purpose. The alien specimen will be handed over to church military personnel for destruction. I will return when I have arranged transport to the incinerator facility. May God have mercy on my soul. Stop recording. You have been listening to Dark Matter, The Specimen. Written by Paul Mannering. Theme composed and performed by Kai Hartwig. Featured in the cast were Perry Whittle as Farin Nagula, Daniel McRae as Dr. Cyan Hexel, and Mark Kalita as Bishop Colonel Altrum. The series was produced and directed by Paul Mannering. Post-production by Matt McLaren. The executive producer for Darker Projects is Eric Busby. This has been a Darker Projects production. And that was The Specimen, a chilling piece by Darker Projects in their Dark Matter series. And you know what? Uh, Darker Projects is so good, I think we're going to double it up today. So uh, let me dig out here. We've got another one from that same series, Dark Matter. This one is called Heroes. It's a story of humans out in deep space, um, the first man mission to Mars, and they find out that the most dangerous things in the world can be humanity itself. Enjoy Heroes. You are listening to Audio Drama in a Darker Shade at darkerprojects.com. And now our feature presentation. Beyond the life-giving glow of our own sun, the infinite void of dark space stretches to places where reality is only limited by our imagination. It is from these blackest reaches of the universe that we bring you Dark Matter, an anthology of original audio science fiction from Darker Projects. This is Paul Mannering. In the future, mankind is taking the second great leap towards the stars. On the first manned mission to Mars, astronauts Fred and Janine are going to make history. In the shadow of the red planet, they will find that true dark matter is born in the darkness of the human heart. Darker Projects presents Heroes, an original science fiction audio drama by Robert Tinsley. Welcome back. Was the surface of the red planet as red as all pictures showed? You bet, buddy. It was red all right, but the photographs didn't even begin to do it justice. Wish I could have been there. Me too, buddy. 
But I'm afraid your body just couldn't tolerate being on the Mars surface. Or the surface of any other planet, for that matter. Does that still bother you? I thought you'd work past that. I have. It was simply a statement of fact. Having a body the size and mass of a small skyscraper makes it impossible for me to make planet fall and maintain structural integrity. There are compensations, though. Oh, sure. I can see and feel things you guys can't even imagine. The problem is remembering the things I'll never see or feel again. Okay, okay. Enough of this maudlin sentimentality. Let's celebrate. First humans to reach Mars and return. Here, Janine. Catch. Non-alcoholic champagne in a plastic squeeze bottle? Somehow, I don't think Dom Perignon is feeling threatened. 123 days and a wake-up and we'll all be home. How long before we can leave orbit, George? Three hours and 12 minutes. Shall I begin preparations? You bet. And put on Ride of the Valkyries. Do I have to? You know how I hate Wagner. Come on, it's uplifting. They're welcoming heroes. That's us, baby. Except the heroes the Valkyries are welcoming are dead. A minor detail. Fine. I just won't listen. Being able to turn up my ears is a real advantage compared to when I had to stuff them with cotton. Get on the keyboard if you need me for anything. Let's start getting this stuff stowed so we can get out of here. I'm really looking forward to getting home. I can hardly wait to see my little boy. How old is he? I know you've told me, but I can barely remember how old my own daughter is. He'll turn six in a month. I won't be home for his birthday. Debbie turns 16 two weeks after we leave quarantine. That's a big deal in a girl's life. I know. I'm getting her her own car, a new Raptor. Wow, what a dad. It's small, but it's built like a tank. It should keep her safe. She's a lucky girl. I'm a lucky dad. Fred, did George sound a little depressed to you? Depressed? George can't be depressed. His neural chemical balance is monitored so closely he can't get depressed, or manic, or anything else outside a narrow range without it being counteracted. Nevertheless... He could be in a dogfight outnumbered five to one and never raise a bead of metaphorical sweat on that little black box his central nervous system now calls home. Are you sure it's working properly? It was when we left for the surface, what, 43 hours ago? Besides, there'd be a warning light if something were out of whack. How long has he been part of the ship? He isn't part of the ship any more than you're part of your body. He is the ship. Here, stow that in your locker. But how long has he been like this? His accident was eight years ago. He spent about a year as a sentient vegetable. That was when they offered him this opportunity? Yeah, he spent another five years undergoing surgery and training. Once that was finished, we spent two years building the ship around him. <sighs> that must have been a horrible time for him. It wasn't really so bad. George, damn it! Don't sneak up on us like that! Sorry. It wasn't bad. At least I was doing something. Not like just after the crash. I was given a chance to make a difference. Were you able to move at all after you were hurt? No. I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. It took them a couple of months to find out that I wasn't a total vegetable. After they figured out that I was sentient, a sentient vegetable like Fred said, they fitted me into the computer so that I could communicate by thinking about typing. That must have been a great relief. You have no idea. How long were you like that? About a year. Then Fred came up with the idea of making me the first cyborg spacecraft. Actually, I didn't come up with the idea. I ran across a squint back at Marshall who was finishing up a concept study on a cyborg ship. I just mentioned where he might find a willing subject for the real thing. Saved my life with that, Frank did. How's that? Being a sentient vegetable was killing me. I'm a pilot. I flew all over the earth and the moon.
being stuck in one room was a living death. The real thing wasn't that far off. So you agreed to the surgery? Absolutely. They started by grafting electronic interfaces onto various parts of my spinal cord above the brain, seeing what worked what. When they had that figured out, they paired me down to my central nervous system and gave me my first new body. What was that? A mini-sub. I had a lot of fun zipping around underwater. Then they put me into an airplane, a lunar transport, and now this. What will you do when you get back to Earth? Whatever they want me to do, I suppose. It's not like I have a whole lot of options. You okay, George? Yes, Brad. I'm fine. Why do you ask? I don't know. You sound different somehow. While you were planet side, I spent a little time tuning the speaker response. Do you like the change? Uh, yeah, I guess. That's good. If you'll excuse me, I need to check the burn calcs again. Sure, George. If something were wrong, if you weren't feeling right, you'd tell me, right? Of course. Okay, George, we've gotten everything nailed down that can be and we're buttoning tight. When do we break orbit? Two minutes. Can't be too soon for me. I really hate being weightless. Even a little bit of gravity we get under acceleration is better than floating around like a little bit of goose down. How did you ever make it through training? An iron will and the ability to use a barf bag quietly. Survival kit if I ever heard one. George, how's the reactor doing? Everything's nominal, Fred. Bring up magnetic containment. George? Momentary glitch. Give me a minute. What's going on? That's what I'm trying to find out. George, I'm not seeing any response in the coils. That's not totally surprising. Why isn't that surprising? I can't feel my legs. Legs? What legs? The engines. He can't get the engines to respond. Try again. Can you feel anything back there? I'm trying. I'm sending the signals, but nothing is responding. I know everything's there. I just can't get it to do anything. What about attitude jets? Those are all functioning normally. I just can't move my legs. Fred? Yeah, George? I think I'm paralyzed.
Are you sure you've got all the microphones turned off in here? Absolutely. Can't have George overhearing this conversation. So just what the hell is going on? Why can't George fire the engines? Damn if I know. Everything looks fine. Diagnostics check out. We should be on our way home now. Well, we're not. We're three hours late. And have you looked at our orbit projections lately? No. I've been too busy trying to find out why George's legs won't work. They're not George's legs. They're the ship's engines. Yeah, well, whatever you call them, they won't respond to command. You better find a way to get them started soon. Our orbit is decaying. We weren't supposed to be here this long. I know. We took up a low orbit to make the trip to the surface easier. It meant faster decay, but we weren't going to be here long enough for it to be a problem. Now it's a problem. How big a problem? Big enough. The longer we're here, the lower we get. The lower we get, the more fuel it's going to take to break orbit. Within two hours, we'll have to use more fuel than we can afford. What do you mean? If we try to maintain schedule, we won't have enough fuel to slow our speed enough to insert into Earth orbit. We can conserve fuel, turn off the engines early, take longer to get back. One hour from now, we will have come up on our last burn window. After that, we will have passed the point of no return. The travel time will be so long that we'll run out of food and air. Two hours after that, we'll enter Mars' atmosphere. So... What do we do? All the circuitry from the nav station back to the engines is in working order, right? Right. So the only thing that's keeping George from firing the engines is probably some kind of psychological blockage. That's impossible. That's the only explanation. It's not hardware, so it must be software. We don't have time to psychoanalyze him. That's for sure. Then, repeating my earlier question, what do we do now? Bypass George and operate the engines manually, just until we get started. Then we can bring him back into operation to handle course corrections. I can't do that. Taking George offline is like locking him in a sensory deprivation chamber. He's had more than enough of that. I don't know what it would do to him. I don't see how we have any choice. Which would you rather do? Take George offline for a couple of hours or crash and burn on Mars? I guess you're right. I still don't like it, but I'll go shut down George's interfaces. You bring up the nav station. When I get back, I'll try to fire the engines manually. We'd better do more than try. Oh, Fred. I'm really disappointed in you. can't get the door to the engine room open. Let me see if I can get it from here. No use. It just won't open. George. Wait. Are you sure? We have to get the door open. George. Yes, Janine. George, can you open the engine room door for us? Why do you need to get into the engine room? 
We have to take you offline so that we can fire the engines manually. I'm afraid I can't let you do that. <sighs> we have to do it, George. You can't, so we have to. If we don't fire the engines in 30 minutes, we'll never get home. I know. I'm sorry about that. If we don't fire the engines, we'll all die. You'll only be offline a short time. We'll bring you back into the loop as soon as we're on our way home. I don't intend to go home. What? That's nuts. Why, George? Why don't you want to go home? While you two were planet-side, the drug delivery system that kept me dope broke down. My physical body, if you want to call it that, is so small now that it didn't take long for the residual effects to wash out. That's impossible. The status display showed everything nominal. I had the display. I knew it. I knew something was different. You sounded depressed when we got back. I was depressed for a while. I thought about my life trapped in this little black box. I thought about my life before the accident. I thought about how I made the wrong decision. You were ecstatic when you learned that you could become a cyborg. No one told me the downside. Oh, what downside? You said you enjoyed being part of a ship. I did, for a while. But I started missing all the things I used to have. You had the best care, the finest equipment. What I didn't have was the ability to touch another person, make love to a woman, meet my buddies in a bar and get drunk. In short, human contact. I thought the treatments you got were supposed to keep you from feeling that way. You mean the drugs? They couldn't keep me from feeling that way from thinking about it, but they did keep me from caring enough to do anything about it. I've been thinking about this for a long time. What do you mean? I've gotten really good at lying over the years. I was bored during the transition times, so, as an intellectual exercise, I started seeing just what I could get away with. As long as there was no way for my handlers to empirically verify what I told them, they pretty much believed whatever I said. They wanted to believe I was happy. But the treatments kept you from doing anything overt. <sighs> then the delivery system broke down. And I started feeling for real. I can't go back to that. That isolation. I should have died in the accident. It would have been better if I did. Now, I'm going to correct that. How? I'm going to do a swan dive into the surface of Mars. George! You're gonna kill us, too! I know. I wish I didn't have to, but I don't see any way around it. Don't do it, George. When we get back to Earth, we can tell the others how you feel. You can get help. You mean more drugs? Maybe a different cocktail this time? It'll be just more of the same. I'll still be a slave. <sighs> You're not a slave. You have rights. You're a thinking human being. That's not how the powers that be see me. To them, I'm just another piece of high-tech equipment. High-tech equipment doesn't have rights. <gasps> Think about what you're doing. We have families back on Earth. People who love us. I know. You have everything I want and can't have. I'm sorry. Really, I am. <sighs> You can't do this. It's murder. I thought you were my friend. I am, Fred. Believe me, I'm not doing this lightly. I was brought up Catholic, though I haven't practiced in a very long time. I know that suicide is a mortal sin. Taking you two with me isn't going to make much difference to me on the other side. 
There are just some things you have to do for yourself. What about all our data? The samples? The samples will go down with us. I have already sent the data back and told them that I'm terminating the mission. They'll never use another cyborg ship. That's one good thing that will come out of this. What's the matter with me? I can't stop yawning. I can't either. That's the carbon dioxide buildup. I turned off the air scrubbers shortly before you arrived back on board. I'm not completely heartless, at least not metaphorically. By the time we start our plunge toward the planet, you'll both be passed out. I'm going to give you one other little gift before you fall asleep. The most valuable gift I can give you. <sighs> what the hell are you talking about? I'm going to give you some time alone, so that you can make physical and emotional contact with another human being. Making love in time of crises is a triumph of life over the presence of death. I'm giving you the one thing I can't have. Now, I'll be putting on a little music for you. You have been listening to Dark Matter, Heroes, written by Robert W. Tinsley. Original music composed and performed by Kai Hartwick and Kevin McLeod. Featured in the cast were Andrei Kuznetsov as George, Tim Gillick as Fred, and Emily Legley as Janine. The series is produced by Mark Rizzi, co-production by Chris Snyder, post-production by M.J. Cogburn. The executive producer for Darker Projects is Eric Busby. This has been a Darker Projects production. And that was Heroes, rounding out our Darker Projects double feature today. Much, much more deliciously dark audio drama at www.darkerprojects.com. Anyways, here is your weekly reminder to check out the blog and podcast at radiodramarevival.com. We've got news, reviews, and discussion up there. You can also find us on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. 
That wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates on on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.